Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and I'll be your host this evening as we talk about tips to schedule and enjoy your travel over this summer. And I'm very, very pleased that we have two very, very experienced travelers. Uh, number one, we have Mr. Julian Vargas. Welcome to the show, Julian. Hi, Dr. Bill. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, we really like having you, and we have some questions for you about that GPS so we don't get lost on our vacation. And also, we have from Northern California, Mr. Damien Pickering. Welcome, Damien. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's really great to have you. And uh, actually, Damien, you were one of the people who really influenced me as I was losing my vision to travel. And the reason was that I met you for that first time, and I was just so amazed at how you were able to travel all alone. I said, how is this guy ever going to get from the car onto the airplane to his destination, to the hotel? And you told me about a lot of these different ways that you did it, so uh, I'm really glad that you could be here. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, it's coming up on summer, and a lot of people are maybe thinking about taking vacations, or maybe there's a lot of us who are hesitant to take a vacation because we may think that it will not be enjoyable or that it might be too difficult to do. So the first thing is I just want you to basically share with us what are basically some of your experiences in terms of with traveling uh, with low vision. Damien? Sure. Well, let me first say that uh, the reason I travel as much as I do is for work. I've worked in the assistive technology industry for, oh, well, most of the the 2000s now. And, you know, even before that, um, had done a lot of, of travel to various conferences and things like that for work. So, that's where I gained most of my experience. And so it's very funny that oftentimes now when people, when a vacation comes up and people say, oh, or, you know, are you going anywhere fun for vacation? And I say, well, I hope not, because I'm one of those people nowadays who really appreciates a staycation where you just kind of stay at home and, you know, put on a, a game or listen to some great music and eat some great food and things like that. But, but, that's kind of the the joke that has a grain of truth because I do actually travel for for fun and vacation as well. So um, you know, I, for me, um, orientation and mobility and just getting out and and you know doing even just doing your errands, traveling around town um, is, is sort of one of the the big challenges, and, and certainly one of the things that I think it's it's really hard to, to feel really independent and, and just, um, you know, vital if, if it's not something that you do. So I, I appreciate that it, it is one of the most intimidating things, or it can be, until you really just get on that horse and, and, and go. So, you know, whether it's... Um, Learning to use a cane, um, 
and or learning to use a dog or learning to use the the various um, mobility tools there are, such as GPS and things, um, it's really good and important to start with that foundation and take advantage of training. Um, I mean, it's like any anything. You know, whenever you hear about uh, you know these these stories of you know war heroes and things like that and people who get a medal of honor or something i mean they that you often hear them say well i just did what i was trained to do you know i didn't think about it and even though we don't get medals for the challenges we face and the accomplishments of crossing busy intersections or putting together a multi transportation journeys where we go from bus to train or plane or taxi or things like that, um, it, it, it really is something that people deserve a lot of recognition for um, because it is something where you really literally, um, I mean, you, you literally are taking your life in your hands. And so if you have a good foundation of training, I mean, that's something that you'll always be able to fall back on, and, and someday you, you really won't have to think about it. It'll be something that you just do. Yes, I would agree with that. I think that to receive the appropriate training is so important, and I know that for myself, one of the things that I resisted so much when I was beginning to lose vision is that I resisted the cane. I mean, I really resisted it. And it was because I didn't want people to look at me with a cane. I didn't mm-hmm. think about how it might be able to help me, but I didn't want people to see me with a cane. I was so egotistical and so proud. But I was on vacation, and we were in Las Vegas, and I never had seen all of the new hotels. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use this cane here so that I don't have to stare at the sidewalk as I'm walking. And I used the cane. I was able to look and I could travel so much more easily, and people got out of the way, and people were courteous. And from that point on, I was really, you know, hooked on the cane. And what about you, Julian? I know that you are a cane user, and I know that you've traveled quite a bit to New York and such. Uh, Where are some of the different places that you have been able to travel uh, since you've had low vision? Well, I'm probably not as... uh extensively traveled as Damien over there, but uh, I'm starting to do more of it. Uh, I also work in the assistive technology field, but I thus far have done most of my work here in the Southern California, Los Angeles area, but little by little uh, I'm beginning uh, requests to speak (laughs) at places outside of the area, so I will be doing more. To give you a little background on myself, I grew up in New York City. And I moved out to California uh, when I was still 19, almost 20. So um, growing up in, in New York, I, just like you, I had a strong resistance to the cane. I, I, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like, I, I thought that especially in a place like New York, that uh, if you walked around with a cane, it meant that uh, you were more likely to be a victim of a mugger or something like that. So I resisted it for the longest time. Um but it was funny because now when I look up at it, think back on it, the comments that people made as I walked by and either bumped against them or bumped and knocked into a sign or something like that, and they all just the, the things that people assumed about me because it never occurred to them that I was visually impaired. Uh, for some reason, that didn't bother me then. I don't know why, but 
Now, uh, you know, I finally accepted the cane. What got me to accept the cane was that uh, my friends in high school were doing really cool stuff on the weekends, and I'd hear about it the next uh, week. And it's like, wow, this sounds like fun. I want to do this. I want to do that. But my biggest problem uh, was that I couldn't see at night. Um, I have uh, LCA, Leber's congenital amaurosis, and that was the biggest issue that I had was night blindness. And all of the fun stuff, of course, happens at night. Friday, Saturday nights, all the parties, all the cool stuff. And I wanted to do that, but I couldn't travel at night until I finally accepted the cane, which I did. And uh, when I did and found, just like you, that it made life a lot easier, and it also uh, got rid of all the weird comments that people were making about me as I walked by, because if I knocked into something, the cane pretty much explained why I knocked into something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, There weren't these weird assumptions, so... um, it has definitely uh, been a tremendous enhancement in my life, and even now with all the uh, tools I have in my uh, uh, toolbox, so to speak, uh, technology and all that, uh, still nothing comes close to giving me what the cane gave me and still yeah. does. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I have traveled to Asia and to Canada, to South America, and the one thing is that the cane speaks for itself. Even though I, I do not speak Japanese and I do not speak fluent Spanish, I didn't have to explain anything about why I might be moving slower or why it might be taking a little bit longer to figure out which train to go on. The cane tells it all, and it made things so much easier. Whereas when I tried to act visual on vacation before, it was difficult. I'll tell you guys a story. You know, once we were on vacation, and we went to the um, Polynesian Cultural Center in Hawaii. It was our first trip to Hawaii. I thought this is going to be so wonderful. But, you know, I was beginning to lose my vision. I couldn't see well when it was extremely bright, and it was so much brighter in Hawaii. But I didn't want to pull out my cane. I was then walking, and the gentleman said, Hey, you got a wonderful family. Let me take a picture of you guys. So we said, Oh, thank you. That's so nice. We all started to line it, take a picture. I started walking towards my family, and I didn't see that there was a, a brick type of a step there. It was a, a, a margin of a little planter. And I fell down, and all these people were around, and they looked. And, you know, it was very, very funny. It was very funny. I'm certain I look so funny, you know, on the ground like that. But, you know, people, they didn't understand what was my problem. And I felt so embarrassed and so angry. And since that time, I said, you know, if I had used my cane, I could have, you know, eliminated any kind of embarrassment that I might have felt. And other people would have truly understood what was going on. I mean, they would have said, oh, that poor guy, he's visually impaired, he didn't see it. Rather than, whoa, what is that guy? Is he drunk? You know, people started saying, hey, you need another beer? So, you know, many times people will say things to us as we're traveling because of the fact that we don't let them know one way or the other that we're visually impaired. Now, uh, Damien, when you're making travel arrangements, what are some of the tips and tricks? Because I know you make reservations to either take the BART train or to fly. Uh, What are some recommendations you have for our listeners about how to make reservations, or is there any customer assistance that we as people with low vision might sometimes receive? Sure. Yes, often there is. Um, And 
you know, I, I started traveling in the days before everyone had GPS, and certainly before um, GPS for visually impaired people, accessible GPS was available. So start you know, start with good planning, and um, like say when, uh, like I'll take an Amtrak, for example, because, you know, a lot of times I'll go from Jack London Square in Oakland near where I live to, to downtown Sacramento because um, there will be a lot of um, meetings or things I'll need to do there. And so um, having um, you know, the phone numbers for your different transit agencies, whether it's the train or whether it's the airline that you use, things like that, um, the, the agents there can be very helpful in terms of choosing times and what are the available uh, trains or flights or things like that, you know, for, for what times of day um, that can help you to know how long uh, a trip will be and things like that, so to help with timing. Um, and identifying yourself that, that you have a disability or that you're blind or visually impaired is really helpful. I mean, A, you oftentimes um, will get a, you know, a, a slight discount for your tickets and things like that, which certainly can be helpful. But then there's um, services such as, um, you know, agents that will help you find the, uh, the correct train or help you navigate through the airport. Um, for example, when I um, check in my flight, I usually uh, would take, I'll take a taxi to the airport and I have them um, drop me curbside right near the uh, the curbside check-in. I like to, to get to know the, the sky caps and those people. Uh, and you can check your luggage right there. They can get your boarding pass for you and then call somebody at the airport that would um, assist getting through security and things like that. And, you know, think about when you travel with with your family or friends. I mean, they, they may be very experienced travelers, um, but, you you know, you could be in an area where you're not familiar with. I mean, if you're going to a place you haven't been before or what have you, they're completely overwhelmed. And, and you know, I imagine, I, I think of, like, times going through Chicago. I mean, the airport is so big, and there's all these flashing lights and signs and different ways to go. Well, if you're working with people who know that airport, you know, they know the system. It's familiar for them. So, you know, it's, it's. I mean, in a lot of times, I mean, there's, I think, an advantage to having a visual impairment because, I mean, there's been a number of times where uh, I, I'm sure I would have missed my connection had I not had that person there to just quickly um, help me get from, you know, from one gate to the other and things like that. And then, of course, um Say I've checked luggage. It's great to have that that meet and assist um, the person. I mean, I mean, like if somebody's in a wheelchair or something like that, they'll they'll come and meet with a chair, and and I would just say, well, I don't I don't need the chair, but you know, I need a um, guidance to baggage claim and so forth. And then I've there the the sighted person that's right there to help me collect my luggage and things because that's an obvious thing that is very difficult to do if you uh, can't see at all or can't see well. And then um, 
if I don't have a, a colleague or a friend or family member that's picking me up, I can I can just ask them to uh, help me get to the place where the shuttles or the taxis meet, and then you know from there they deliver me directly to my hotel or um, or meeting or whatever it is. So you know it, it's it is complicated and it can be overwhelming when you think about you know, an entire trip from getting from your front door to where you need to go. I mean, it could be in another state or, you know, there could be a lot of links in that chain. But if you really break it down to the, you know, it's like they say the greatest journey starts with a a single step. You know, each little piece of it is, is pretty simple when you break it down. And there really are people along the way, um, to, to help, and I, I think it's always good to just ask for assistance or tell pe- people what would be helpful, what kind of thing would be would be helpful. Um, so, I mean, that's a a little a little bit of uh, kind of the overview. You know, and that and that is so true. That is so true, Damien. Everything that you talked about there, that is the way that I travel uh, by myself, and it is. It is so beneficial to ask somebody, ask a skycap, can I have an escort? And they'll get you through security faster. They get you to your gate. They get you from the airplane after you land to pick up your luggage. They get you to find a taxi. I mean, they're so great and they're so helpful. I mean, I have never met an escort that has been uh, unwilling to help and I found all of them, everyone that I have ever had, they were familiar with uh, using sighted guide technique, and they were just very, very cordial. And for me, that was really something different because I would not have asked. If you didn't tell me about that, I would not have asked somebody. And I'm certain, especially in Pittsburgh, I would have gotten lost because when you got to transfer to those trains yeah. to, to get to the next terminal, it's something else. Now, now, Julian, I know that you often have a lot of recommendations on ways that perhaps our listeners could find deals if they're trying to find a vacation or maybe they want a flight to go to New York or to another country. Uh, what are some of those suggestions that you, you have for finding special deals? Do you usually recommend travel agents or the Internet or a little of both? Um, a little of everything. You got to be open to to different things. And, and real quickly, I, I kind of want to touch on some things that, that you guys and Damien talked about. Is uh, you absolutely should be open to whatever you need. In other words, uh, if you need help, don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're offered too much help, don't be afraid to decline too much help. Uh, case in point, that with the uh, with the situation with the wheelchair, sometimes they'll send somebody to help you, and they want to bring a wheelchair. I've had it where I tell them that's okay. I, you know, it's the eyes that don't work. The legs are fine, and they'll they, they kind of miss the humor and they they say no. I'm you know I'm supposed to put you in this chair. I say well if you want to push something in this chair here, I'll put my carry on bag in. They said now you have something to push and let me take your elbow and let's go. <laughs> it's it's okay to be assertive like that as well. There's no right or wrong way to travel as long as you do so efficiently, safely, and you get from point A to point B. And uh, and you enjoy it as much as you can, and uh, re- remove as much hassle as you can. That's all good. So as far as deals go, um, I like using sites 
uh, some of these travel sites like kayak.com is one that I've used, and it can be a little tricky uh, to use with screen readers uh, and even with magnification, but I've been able to find some deals on there. Uh, a lot of these uh, sites also have apps now, and sometimes uh, the apps are a much simplified uh, interface, so I use them. Like, for example, when I went to the CSUN conference uh, a couple of months ago back in, uh, in San Diego, I went on Amtrak, and I, u- I booked the whole trip using Amtrak's app. And it was uh, very nice. It was a smooth experience. And what's nice is that uh, they email you, and they send you an email that has a QR code on it. And I was able to just uh, open that email and have the person on the train scan that QR code, and that validated my ticket. So, um, you know, I, I like using stuff like that. It was uh, right on the your airline, phone. The ticket yeah. was on your phone screen, and they scanned. Yeah, it. because it's it's a it's a QR code, so uh, which stands for quick reference, and it's a little square. Uh, the best way to describe it for those who can't see it, it looks like a little sugar cube. Imagine a sugar cube that kind of has like little chunks taken out of it in the middle here and there. So it's a weird little pattern in that in that little square, but that 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 encoded in that is information. Um, so in that, it, the encoding in that information is my name and my confirmation number. And that's all they do. They, they have a little handheld machine that scans it, that tells them who I am and what train I'm supposed to be on, and that validates my ticket. Oh, that's great. That's great. So um, that was kayak.com? Yeah, K-A-Y-A-K. Uh, there's all kinds of them out there, Travelocity. And, and again, they all have apps uh, that you can download. Some... Uh, can be a little bit more accessible than others, but if you have some vision, it, it, it kind of helps out because when you obviously if, if a button is not labeled to the screen reader, there might be writing on it that's uh, just enough to where you might be able to see it even if you zoom in the screen. So, but 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 I find that the apps interfaces because it's made for a smaller screen, it's not as cluttered. Uh, it's a little easier to get around sometimes as opposed to a website yeah, which definitely. has tons of links and frames and all that other stuff going on. So I, I like uh, doing stuff like that. Sometimes I listen to radio shows where there's guys, that, uh, the guy named Clark Howard, some of you may have heard of, he often talks about uh, deals that you can get in places. So like Southwest Airlines, uh, they often have good travel deals. JetBlue, that's one of my favorite airlines when I'm flying back east. So uh, oftentimes you go to their sites, and you can even subscribe to uh, uh, deals where they send you an email every week with that week's uh, travel deals. Now, now, do you happen to know, Julian, let's say that one is going to make a reservation and you're going to be traveling on vacation with a friend or your wife or your husband or what have you, and for some reason you do have to cancel that. There's an emergency. Is it such that these airlines or others, do they usually have an insurance that you purchase or do you lose the money you bought for that ticket? Or what other programs should our listeners be aware of so that if they do have to cancel that flight, uh, that they don't lose all of their money? There are insurance uh, programs out there. You can buy traveler's insurance, and, and that's precisely what uh, what it will do. Is it, it, uh, it guarantees against things like that. So if you have to cancel or whatever, normally the airline is going to charge you a big fee to either cancel or change that trip. Uh, some of these insurance policies will do that. The only thing I would suggest is, if possible, 
uh, get the insurance through somebody that's a third-party company other than the airline. I've heard that uh, that seems to work better when you have to cash in on those. Another thing, um, I fly Southwest a lot, and one of the reasons I like them uh, is because they do not charge change fees. So if you have to change a flight or cancel a flight, um, you would just pay the difference of, of what the cost of the ticket would be. And so they're they're just great about that. I think they they have so many business travelers that they've just um, kind of made that aspect of it really smooth. Now, of course, um, you know the the more time in advance that you book the ticket, you get a you know a, a less expensive flight and things like that. Um, they do, you know, you, you can pay you know a higher amount and get a you know what they call an anytime fare, so that that means. Um, you know, I mean, you can make any kind of changes, um, you know, without without losing. Um, so there's different levels of tickets. But each airline kind of has a, a little bit different um, way that they handle that. So that's a good question to ask when you're booking the flight because, you know, it, you sometimes you're really like 95% sure that nothing would change. But some types of trips you're doing – you know, you kind of know in the back of your mind that, you know, not everything is finalized yet and you want to book it now, you know, to take advantage of an earlier, you know, a, a discount, but you know that things might change. So in something like that, you might want to, you know, look at do you get insurance or do you get a, a ticket that may be a little bit more but lets you change without a change fee, things like that. So good, that's good to ask. Yeah, yeah and, and especially if, especially if the cost of the insurance is going to be more than what the extra cost of the ticket would be, it's uh, certainly better to do it that way. Some other tips I'd, I want to throw in there on this on that subject is for those people who f have a difficult time using websites or even apps, uh, you can call the airlines. And as as we're as we know now, a lot of times you call the airline, they'll they'll play they'll tell you that. If you book the ticket with the agent, they're going to charge you a, an extra fee to do so. Well, if you let them know that you're visually impaired and that you're having trouble accessing their, their website or their app, uh, a lot of times, in fact, I've never had them tell me no. Uh, they, they, they'll always say, oh, okay, and then they'll waive the fee. And that way you get the benefit of talking to a human who can actually look at that screen a lot better than you can and maybe help you find a better deal, especially if you're open to dates of travel. If you're okay with the day or, or so before or after the date that you give them, a lot of times they can look at the screen and see what the fare is, what the lowest fare would be for 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 that week, you know, around the time that you're traveling. So That's it's a, great it's a point. yeah, so it's a good you idea know, to to do that. One other um, thing I wanted to to bring up, um, I uh, took my daughter. To Disneyland for the first time last year so she you know she was nine at the time you know I mean it's it's one of your you know more expensive trips so you want to <laughs> save up and wait until you know your your kid is really old enough to appreciate it and remember it but you know we we, we finally picked the time and we went and you know, I was telling a friend of mine that, oh, yeah, we're going to Disneyland, and she said, oh, well, you know, did you, you know, do you know about the, you know, the disability services and things? And I said, no. And uh, so what, what she told me, and I'm so glad to, to learn this, and this is great, is 
when you go to Disneyland, you go, there's like a, in downtown Disney, there's what they, they have, they call a city hall, like Disney City Hall. And you go in there and you, you ask for a, a disability pass. And they, you know, this allows you, in some cases, um, to, you know, to get in an expedited line um, so you can get on the ride sooner. You don't have to stand and wait as long. And some of these popular rides, I mean, it can be an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, and things like that. Um, in, in, in one instance, um, they I mean, basically, like, gave us a, a reservation for for the Matterhorn ride where, I mean, the, the wait was, um, you know, like over an hour, but they, you know, they took our name and what time it was and said, you know, come back at a certain time and, and they would get us right on. So, you know, it, it, it does take us longer sometimes to, to, you know, get around the park and find our way from, you know, from one ride to the other. So, you know, getting to um, have a little bit quicker time through the lines is great and then also i do travel with uh with a guide dog and they have a service where um they bring like a little uh, you know a, a crate and they have a a disney employee that will take your dog and sit with it while you go on the ride so that you know your friend or family that's with you doesn't have to you know, skip that ride and wait and take care of your dog while you go so you, you know, your whole group can go on the ride together. And it, I mean, it, it was so nice, you know, because I've been to other parks where they didn't have that and one person always had to, to kind of stay off the roller coaster or whatever because, um, you know, you, I mean, you can take dogs on some of them, but not on all of them. So I was really pleased to know that. And, you know, it's the same thing like if you go to a, a theater production or a concert, a lot of times they have, um, you know, a seating, like where there, there may be tables or designated chairs. And, um, you know, sometimes you really get like the prime seat in the house. And, uh, you know, again, it's like, like Julian said, just because the service is available doesn't mean you have to take it, you know, but it's good to ask and find out, you know, do you have uh, a special, you know, any disability seating or accessible seating or things like that, and you just might find out that you get, you know, the, the best seat in the house. That, that is so true, Damien, and that reminds me of our vacation. We went to New York, and uh, we went and we bought the tickets, at a discounted place, and we walked over to the theater where it was, and when they saw that I had a cane, I was just with my son. My daughter and my wife went to see another play, and they said, oh, you know, we have special seating for you. Would you like the special seating? And I said, oh, okay, if we could see where they were, and they were front row center. Very wow! Yeah, and we were just so so surprised, and it was really uh, just so wonderful. You know, now Damien, you know, getting back to the fact that you said you often do travel with a guide dog, and that it's great to hear uh, that the Disneyland and other places sometimes they will watch your dog or they'll assist you. Are there certain places that you don't recommend that you? travel with your dog let's say that you're with your friends or mm -hmm. others who might be able to help to orient and guide you is it ever dangerous 
to have your guide, Doug. I'm thinking, for example, being in Manhattan, New York, during rush hour. <laughs> I wonder if the dog get their feet stepped on and things. Because I found that in, sure. in Manhattan, people sure didn't pay attention as as much as I would have thought. Yeah, well, you know, my dog, I'm on my second dog now, and he's nine and a half. So he's, he's still doing well. He's healthy. Um, but he is slowing down a little bit. And, and I do really think about the different trips that I'm taking and what is it that I'm asking of him, you know, what kind of an environment am I putting him him in, and then I kind of do a benefits analysis, like, you know, is it going to be helpful for me to have him with me, or, you know, is it, you know, am I going to be spending more time kind of worrying about him? Um, um, I mean, for example, um, I've just found that uh, like big casinos in Las Vegas or, you know, areas like that can be, I think, really stressful for for a dog. I mean, maybe not all dogs, but my dog in particular, because there's just so much going on. There's lights and noise and people, and the paths of travel are not particularly well-defined. You know, you're in these big open spaces, and I, I think that the dog kind of gets stressed out because they, they have a like an instinct to to find sort of the path of least resistance or the, the obvious path of travel and to keep you safe and, you know, kind of be aware of what's going on. And so I think you put the dog in an environment like that, um, he has to work a lot harder to, you know, to make all those decisions. And so, I mean, that's a, an environment where I oftentimes will, you know, think maybe, you know, I'll board my dog before I go. And Guide Dogs for the Blind um, does, and I imagine most of the other schools do as well, but they do have a service where they'll board my dog um, for free if I, if I make the request in advance. And so sometimes, especially now that he's older, I will leave him if, you know, if it's an environment like that. I mean, also, you know, my dog wasn't, you know, he's a California boy like me. So, um, you know, if we're going to a place in the winter like Chicago um, where there's snow and whatnot, you know, a dog that is familiar with that probably would be fine. But, you know, I don't want to put him into that situation. And, and so, you know, I, I, I would choose probably not to take him um, if I was going to a place like that. Yeah, those are some great points. Now, uh, Julian, I know that one of the difficulties that many times I think all of us will have when we travel to another state or to another country, but let's say, for example, a state, and you need a taxi, how do you find a taxi? I know that you use so many different types of cell phones, but uh, I remember you told me about an application, and I, it might have been called Magic Taxi. Is that the name of one? Uh, very close. You just had it in reverse. It's called Taxi Magic. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's one of those applications. I mean, if you're in Manhattan and you're in Midtown, you could stand on a corner and flag down a taxi. <laughs> there are plenty of them there. But but when you're not in a place like Manhattan where taxis are plentiful, or at least there seem to be a lot of them, whether they're already en route to somewhere is another story. But yeah, there's apps like Taxi Magic. There is the uh, the Uber app. 
and another one called Lyft, L-Y-F-T. Uh, these are these car services uh, that, that are popping up now where you use the app to, uh, to order a ride. And uh, it, it uses the GPS receiver in the phone, so it already knows where you are. Or you could type in the address, too, if, if, if you like. You can do either or. Um, and you can request a ride. And uh, the neat thing about that is that you, you, you set up an account with these apps, so it already has all your billing information, and you don't actually have to exchange any money with the driver. It's all uh, you're, you're charged on your card. And what were the names of those three apps, and are they for both the iPhone and Android, or only one? No, I, I believe they exist on, on all of them, uh, but I know for sure the iPhone. Uh, Taxi Magic is, is the one that you were asking me about. Uh, then there's Uber, which I think is U-B-E-R, if I'm spelling that correctly, I'm trying to remember. Um, the other one that's called Lyft, L-Y-F-T. And I know that there's others out there. I'm not recalling the names of it. You're starting to see more of those types of apps. It's where it's um, the difference, I guess, is that Taxi Magic is working with uh, taxis in the area, and these are uh, ta- vehicles and drivers that have been licensed through the local municipality that you're in uh, to to be to drive a cab. Where apps like Uber and Lyft are more like car services. Uh, you're dealing with private contractors. Um, you're starting to now see cities w- trying to regulate them a little bit more, but they're still, uh, for the most part, unregulated. And it's uh, it's a car service, so you, you, you tell it where you want to go, start, where you want to go. I think it could even uh, uh, tell you what it's going to cost beforehand so that you know what you're paying. And with apps like Uber... Uh, it's uh, they have a thing where they charge you based on the demand for service. So, if you're in an area that has a high demand for service, I think they call it uh, in a, when the area goes red is the, the term that they use. It means that there's a lot of people wanting to use the service, so they, the the cost goes up in those areas. Whereas, as if you're in an area where there's not a lot of demand for service and there's a lot of vehicles, uh, then you'll pay a lower price. And uh, some of these applications will even tell you how long until the cab might reach you. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, because the the uh, the vehicle is being tracked by GPS. The the uh, the driver is also running the app on a phone in their vehicle, so the system knows where they are. And uh, nowadays, they can factor in. They can get information about the traffic conditions and all that. And it's all factored in, so they can give you a pretty good estimate as to the vehicle's arrival. And, of course, you'll also get an alert to let you know when the vehicle is in the area. And what about with the bus? Let's say that a person says, well, I want to be a little more economical, and I'm in Kansas City. I, I'd like to get a bus. Are there any similar applications that would help you for the buses? There are, and it depends on whether the transit agency that you're using uh, participates in the service. Um, I think it's a, if they're registered through Next Trip or something or along those lines, the name of the website. Next the name bus, of the app itself that I use is, what's that? The Next Bus is, is a big one, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's, that's the one that is going to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's called, uh, on the iPhone, it's called iNextBus. I think on Android, it's just called NextBus. Um, and what that does is that, uh, again, it uses the GPS 
receiver in your phone to locate you. And then what it tells you is what are the buses that stop closest to where you're located. And it will tell you uh, the information like the, the route number, the destination of that bus, and then it and it'll tell you the stop that it's uh, giving the information for the intersection, and then it will tell you predicted arrival times of the the next two buses at least. Uh, sometimes one, sometimes two. It depends on the, on the information that's given, but it will give you predicted time prediction predicted arrival times based on the actual location of the bus at that moment. That's really, really wonderful. So, you know, if you have time to go in there and get another slice of pizza or something and come back exactly. out, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you have a, a good GPS with you, it'll tell you, you know, that there is a, a cafe right next to the bus stop. So, I mean, it's so different than it was right. five or ten yep. years ago. And, yeah, and Damien, those uh, apps are, are good. Um, sometimes they're available with a phone interface too like in in the bay area we have 511 which gives traffic information and then transit um agencies and whatnot so i can i can call 511 and then just doing a voice call i can say you know transit departure times and then you know if you know the stop id number of where you are you can just say that and then it'll give you um, the you know the times of the next buses, but if you don't know it, you know it'll just prompt you with different questions, and and you know you can drill down on it, and it, it can be um, easier to deal with than than an app interface, particularly if you're not familiar with it yet. Now, Julian, uh, what are some of the more popular GPS applications for the iPhone or an Android phone? Let's say that you're you're going to travel and you already have an iPhone or an Android phone, but you don't have GPS and you want to be able to find your hotel and other uh, places of interest. Well, uh, as far as blindness-specific apps, we'll start with those and then work our way down. Uh, on the iPhone, the, the best one is Seeing Eye GPS. It's uh, from Sendero Group. Uh, that one gives you both. Uh, I, I, GPS is broken down into uh, two categories. There's orientational GPS and then guided GPS. Guided GPS is what we're mostly familiar with. You know, turn right on this street in 500 yards or whatever. Uh, orientational GPS is what sighted people get when they look at the screen and see a map of where they are and the proximity to where they're going. Uh, for us, of course, if we can't see the map very well or at all, we need information about what's around us, usually the nearest intersection or, or nearest points of interest or address and such. So Seeing Eye gives, brings both of those things into one app, uh, and it does so in, an, in a neat little package. You can uh, get information from various uh, data sources, unlike traditional GPS apps, which only use one uh, map source. Uh, Seeing Eye can actually tie into things like the Foursquare uh, database, which is a crowdsourced database, meaning that uh, anybody can add a point of interest to that database, and it shows up there. And while, yes, sometimes it means you have to sift through a lot of silly, uh, useless junk that people have created, uh, it's very handy for finding uh, points of interest, especially in, in outdoor strip malls. I, I find it particularly helpful because a four-square point was created either at the entrance of or right inside of that particular business. So if you're trying to find a Starbucks and you want a guided direction to that Starbucks from where you're standing, 
this is really nice because it, when you when you call up that that point of interest from the Foursquare database, it now is is pinpointing uh, or, or pointing you in the, in the direction of where that point is actually uh, created, which uh, is very very helpful. Uh, for Android, the the, uh, the best one that I like uh, that, that exists is, is called uh, Nearby Explorer. It's put out by the American Printing House. That one um, has an onboard map, so you have to have a good amount of space on your phone. It's <laughs> a three gigabyte file for the map of the U.S. and Canada in there. But what's nice about that one is that uh, even if you don't have cellular uh, reception, It'll use the onboard map, and uh, it can give you uh, information about uh, points of interest, or you can set routes to places as well. So um, th those, those are the two main ones. Uh, if you want something that's a little bit more toward orientational GPS, a really good app for the iPhone is called Blind Square. Uh, it also uses the Foursquare database, hence the second uh, part of its name. Uh, and you can use it also to find points of interest and have it give you uh, sort of getting warmer type directions to it. You can also create a route starting in Blind Square, and, and if you've got another app on your phone like, uh, let's say, Navigon or, or even Google Maps, uh, you, can, you can create a, a route and it'll kick it over to that app, and then that, that other app will now launch and guide you to, uh, to that point. Um, Let's see, on Android, there's several other ones. There's one, I think, called Dot Walker the, that's good for stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, Google Maps. Uh, a lot of people really like Google Maps. And the nice thing about Google Maps is Google is always updating things. So if you can make that work, uh, that's a very uh, nice interface. And, of course, Google Maps is free. So that's the advantage that, uh, that that solution may have over some of the other ones that I mentioned, which do require... Uh, in the case of Seeing Eye, a subscription, uh, or in the case of Nearby Explorer, you pay you pay a, a one-time fee, and now you can uh, use the app all you want. Well, it really is so amazing what's available for all of us now. I mean, if we have a cell phone, we could purchase these GPS applications. And what would you say? Would you would you say that a person could really learn to use this quite well within a one-week time period? Uh, it depends on how determined they are. <laughs> I think um, for some, one week might be a little optimistic, especially if they are not at all familiar. If they're coming from the button world into the touchscreen world, it could be a little bit of an adjustment period. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say that uh, you should give yourself some time. You should get yourself some good training as well as uh, going out there and, and doing some research, subscribing to one of the uh, mailing lists that are out there where you could uh, exchange uh, information with thousands of people all around the world that are using these devices and where we kind of all help each other out as a community. Well, I know um, that both uh, it, you and Damien both are experienced with the GPS and traveling, and uh, I'll ask you both to give out your contact information if anybody wants to uh, con consult with you. But before we open up to questions, we have about 10 minutes uh, Damien, give me your top three travel destinations. If you're going to recommend a vacation for someone, uh, what, what would you say have been your top three? That's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, I have to put the you know the Disney World on there. Not that I would want to go there a lot, but I think it's a place that is worth going 
at least once. I mean, it's a, a great yep. family vacation. I mean, I, I think of Disney as sort of ground zero of the hospitality industry. I mean, they have it down to to an art. And so, <laughs> yes, they do. And, you know, they have, you know, different facilities in Florida and California and, and you know, even in, in Europe and whatnot. So um, that has to be there. Um, you know, um, Yosemite is just a place that, that I really love, and I, I can't, I mean, there's not so much a specific, um, I mean, they're great with hospitality and service, and I mean, you can do anything from, you know, go hiking and do the outdoors, but they also have um, kind of a series of shuttles that transport people around, and I mean, they've got different hotels and events, I mean, ice skating in the winter and big fires and campfires and, you know, things like that in the summer. Um, I mean, it's just a place I have really fond um, memories of. Um, and, you know, I had, um, I, I really had a fond memories of, of um, going to Sedona, Arizona, too. Um, it was just a, and there was a, I don't even remember the name of, of the resort, but um you know, because a lot of these places, you know, if you do a resort or a, a club or something like that, I mean, they're going to have all different kinds of services and information and, you know, tours and things that you can sign up for in, in the local area. So, I mean, those Great. are some, Thank you. some ones that I've loved. Thank you. And, uh, Julian, how about you? What about your top three uh, vacation destinations? <laughs> well, if you like adventure, uh New York is a great place to go. Um, it's, <laughs> it's definitely got a lot going on. But one of the reasons I recommend New York is, of course, the transportation is great. Uh, you never have to worry about how you're going to get home <laughs> or back to where you're staying because the, the, the trains run 24-7. They're pretty extensive. They, they cover uh, all throughout the city. And you, you can get to places relatively quickly. You can see quite a lot. Uh, and great. especially if you know where to go. So that's a great place to go. Um, I, I would have to agree with, with Damien about Disney, even though it's not a place I, I go to often. But the experience is really nice. One other thing that, that should also be mentioned about Disney is that they've got this great little audio description service. It's a device that you can get from uh, when you're at City Hall uh, that you wear. And it's like a PDA, and you can wear it in your piece. And what it will do is uh, it will give you uh, information about things that you're walking by. It's using GPS to geolocate you as well. And on certain rides, uh, like the Pirates ride and, and, and things like that, it will actually describe the scenery that's going around. It, it knows, it can somehow tell what part of the ride you're in. And you hear recordings uh, giving you a description of the scenery that's going on all around you. So, uh, you know, you, you can't really beat the, the Disney experience. Um, and one place that I have yet to go to, but I've heard a really lot of nice things about that <laughs> I'd have to say is Hawaii. I'd like to go there and experience that. So that that's one of those that's on my list that I haven't experienced it, but it's it's on my to do or places to go list. Yes, and real quickly, my top three, I would say Hawaii is number one. I like it because it's so relaxed. You don't have to dress up, and uh, again. People are so friendly, always helpful, and the bus system is really very, very effective. 
Number two, I would say that I really enjoyed going to Japan. Even though I couldn't speak the language, even though I didn't know where to go, uh, we were able to find our way to tr uh, see and touch many different things, like these shrines. Uh, just very interesting to be able to touch them. And I think my third is just San Francisco. I love it. It's small. It's condensed. You have Chinatown. You have the Fisherman's Wharf. You have uh, Little Italy. And you have the Ghirardelli Square. So at this time, let's go ahead and let's open it up. If any of you have questions, we've got about five minutes. And please feel free to ask Julian and Damien any questions. I have uh, a comment, if Mary Lou here. Uh, also, if you need to, with Amtrak, you could call them ahead or any place and let them know you're disabled and uh, let them know that you're in need of assistance or they, let them know and ask them if you need, if they have any special assistance, and they'll be happy to let you know. I do know that Amtrak has special assistance, and I know a little trick with Amtrak uh, if you're willing to pay a little more, we, my husband and I stay in business class, and they're really attentive. And when it was really crowded on the weekends, uh, you're guaranteed a seat. Oh, and, that's good to know. And, oh. uh, you know, they were really nice. That, you know, you get food, you, you know, they spoil you rotten. And they said, oh, we'll make sure you get a seat. And they came out, and they made sure we got on the train help us with their baggage, everything. So when you do buy that ticket, sometimes consider asking for business class. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's good Good advice. Thank you, Mary Lou. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, anywhere, really, you know, if you're going to Staples or any venue, it doesn't matter, like in L.A. or any place, just ask, do you have any uh, services for the disabled? Because even like in California, like at Staples, they were, as, as soon as they saw the canes, they were right on us, like, oh, can we help you? The escorts were there. Oh, let's escort you to work. Let me see your ticket. Let's see where you need to go. And then they said, oh, uh, this is Patty. She'll be your escort. She'll be here. You know, we'll, uh, you know we'll, we'll come back at the intermission. You know, if you not like anything, would you like anything now? We'll get you it. So we'll bring it to your seat. Whatever, and or they even took us through this shortcut to our uh, seats, and she, they were saying, "Oh, the stars are here. You know, you go. We're taking you through this shortcut, so you don't have to go into this other area." And it was kind of neat being like a VIP. So a lot of it doesn't matter where you are, you know, just call them and say, "Hey, you know, I'm coming ahead. I'm, you know, disabled. I'd like to know. Do you have any services available?" That's wonderful. And just real quick, just like that, for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, Staples Center is where the Lakers play and the Kings play and the concerts are. But um, we had a pair of tickets to a Laker game, and we had the worst tickets, you know, the nosebleed ones, way up <laughs> high. And when they saw myself and my nephew go in, they sat us to the disabled seating, and these are excellent seats. So it's a way you could save money and get better seats by just showing them your, your cane. Does anybody else have a question or a comment they'd like to share? I had New York City. This is Tom from Vermont. Hey, Tom. Uh, I learned about it when I went my, with my son up the Empire State Building. But when I went with my wife, 
I said, let's go to the Empire State Building. And I said, now, watch this. And <laughs> in line, and it said, the sign said, an hour wait from this point. I said, just wait. The guard comes over, come with me, sir. <laughs> I said, hold you, go with him, down, around the stairs, up the elevator, to the ticket booth, zoom. We're right up to the top of the Empire State Building. No <laughs> No lot. I just said, watch this, the magic cane. Uh, a couple other places that worked, too, but it was really impressive, the Empire. So the blind guy that can't see much gets to the top of the Empire to the observation tower first. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. But it that's was wonderful. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. That's good advice. Anybody else have a comment or suggestion or question? Okay, great. Well, we're about out of time here, and before we wrap it up, uh, Damien, uh, do you mind sharing your contact information if anybody has questions about anything that you stated tonight or about GPS or anything? Sure. Um, so uh, by way of disclosure, I should say I work for Humanware uh, in the technology industry. So my email address would be Damien, D-A-M-I-A-N, dot Pickering, P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G, at humanware.com. And you can reach me at 800-722-3393, extension 219. Thank you. And Julian, how about your contact information? Certainly. Uh... I work freelance, <laughs> so uh, I provide uh, assistive technology training. I do consulting. If people need help figuring out what uh, phone they want to get and such like that or want somebody to help to go with them to shop and make sure that it gets done right, that sort of thing, um, I can be hired to do all those things. I can be reached at area code 818-794-9500. Or if you want to do email or uh, uh, contact me that way, uh, you can just go through my website, www.techjv.com. That's www.techjv, like my initials is in Julian Vargas, .com. And there there's a link where you can click to email me or my number's there too if, if you uh, didn't take it down. And as it relates to that, one last quick question because I know many people who are traveling do uh, think about GPS so they know where to go, the places of interest. If you are a person who travels frequently, say you travel throughout the United States and you're in Asia, then you're in Europe, is it better to have a particular type of cell phone, whether iPhone or Android, that would allow you to insert a SIM card that would have different maps? Well, uh, maps are not stored on SIM cards. Uh, the, all the SIM card is is uh, a way to authenticate yourself to the local cellular network. So, I would say that if you do, if you plan to do a lot of travel, especially world travel, you really uh, want to have a GSM phone, uh, or the capable GSM, as well as uh, LTE, which is becoming the newer standard now. Uh, so you you want that um, phones that are made for Verizon and Sprint here in the U.S. Uh, are on a different type of service called CDMA. 
Now, these companies are also uh, building out LTE networks, and in the future, everything's going to be LTE. So uh, the, uh, it won't be so necessary to make this distinction. But uh, for world traveling, yes, I recommend getting a phone that is capable of accepting a SIM card or a GSM slash LTE network, and preferably one that is not locked to a particular carrier so that you have that freedom when you land somewhere uh, rather than roaming through your phone home phone service, which is going to cost you a lot of money, it's cheaper to buy data, especially from a local carrier, paying the local rate in, instead of the roaming rate. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't um, talk about that there are GPS solutions that don't involve phones. Um, I mean, Humanware has a couple. The Trekker Breeze is a dedicated handheld GPS that is. Um, buttons, different shaped buttons, and then of course the the Sendero uh, GPS for the Braille Note, and you can get Sendero for uh, other note takers, um, um, Hims, and um, I, I believe it's still available for the Packmate. Um, you know, for me, I, I do use, I do take advantage of cell phone GPS, but it's, it really is more of a backup because. My cell phone is my lifeline, um, and you know if you're going to be relying on GPS, you know, on your phone, um, you're going to want to make sure that you have um, some kind of extra battery backup because you don't want to be stuck far from home in an unfamiliar area and suddenly be without a phone and without GPS. So there are you know definite considerations for. You know, it, it, I think having a phone and having a GPS is important enough that it, it could be worth having, you know, a, a dedicated device for, for each function. Okay, unless you're a geek like me that travels with multiple cell phones and a 12-amp battery. <laughs> uh, Damien makes some great points. Something else to point out, that the solutions that I mentioned before for both iPhone and for um, Android are mostly uh, based in the U.S. and Canada. I know that Seeing Eye is expanding into Europe. Uh, you know, they're starting to go there too. But uh, the solutions that he mentions, I believe, have the availability to download international maps and things yes, like that. Yes, they so do. So that is something to consider. Well, you know, this is getting pretty complicated. I'm already lost now. But <laughs> so, if any of you do have questions about this type of technology of using GPS. Again, you could uh, do some research or contact Damian Pickering or Julian Vargas. And we want to thank you, Mr. Joe Yurka from Airs Alley, for recording this. This is going to be available on the Airs Alley website at www.airsla.org and also at cclvi.org, www.cclvi.org. Okay, so on behalf of all of our listeners, I want to thank you both, Damien, Julian, and Joe, and we hope to see you next month when we talk more about low vision.